is this is uh, our second or third. I think I got two more weeks left here in uh, our study through the life of Abraham. And uh, I, I have to tell you, I'm really pumped up about the message today. Uh, this is this is Abraham on Mount Moriah uh, with his son about to make his sacrifice. This is the story. This is the part of the story that you preach the life of Abraham to get to. Amen. This is the greatest part of the whole deal. So if you're going to miss any messages, you don't want to miss this one. Because this is, this is the, the greatest example of Abraham's life of faith that there is. So um, I, I hope you're, you're awake at least uh, for today uh, because you will not want to miss this. And by way of introduction, I want you to consider, we're going to be in chapter 22. Uh, and if you have children, what would you be willing to do for them? Just think about that question for a second. Is there anything that you would not do for your kids? Virtually every mom and dad that I have ever met would happily run back into a burning house to grab their child. Happily. Every father worthy of the name would take a bullet for any of their kids. Every single one. And most of the time it never comes down to that kind of self-sacrifice. Uh, but sacrifice by nature is part of what it means to be a parent, isn't it? And so we sacrifice vast amounts of time and let's not forget treasure on behalf of our children, don't we? I, I, I'm glad my kids are into football and that they are not into baseball because baseball means sitting out on a bench in the hot part of the year, watching, you know, sweltering to death, getting blisters on my forehead, uh, which I have a lot more of than I used to, um, uh, watching them attempt to hit this ball, right? And baseball, anyway, is one of those games that's like watching concrete harden. And watching kids play baseball is really something, right? But lots of parents sacrifice to watch their kid play baseball, right? I'm a football parent, newly, newly minted here this last couple of weeks. My, both of my boys have started flag football, and I love football. I like the fact also that it's in the fall, and it's a short season. It's eight weeks, right? And you get to help them um, get out the, uh, the budding testosterone in their bodies in, uh, in legally sanctioned, uh, well-organized violence. It's fantastic, <laughs> right? And... Um, uh, it's, it's great stuff, right? But why do we do that? Why? Because we love our kids and we're, we're, we want what is best for them, right? We want them to learn to hit another boy as hard as they can. Um, you take them to Sunday school. You take them to Awana. You hopefully model Christian living with your own life. Why? Because you want your kid to, uh, through your example, through your sacrifice, to grow up to be a functional hopefully mature, uh, hopefully reasonably um, adult, adult, right? And there's nothing you would not do for them and you, uh, by your sacrifice, expressing love for them in a practical way. So let me ask you another question here as we get into Abraham. 
What if a situation came up in which you had to take the life of one of your children? Or let me make the question harder. What would you do if God asked you to sacrifice one of your children to him? Would you obey? Or would you say to God, no, that is a bridge too far. Can't go there. I won't go there. Well, today we're going to see Abraham faced with exactly that kind of situation. God has given him a son. And to test Abraham's faith, God is going to ask for Abraham to give that son back to him. What's Abraham going to do? Let's find out. Sometime later, Genesis 22, beginning verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with our donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Ab said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they had reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And on this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Now, this is, I think, my opinion, the greatest story of faith in the whole Old Testament. And that could be why... If you read your, your book of Hebrews, you come to the honor roll of faith or the hall of heroes in uh, the book of Hebrews, the great examples of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, 
Abraham gets twice as much print as everybody else in the whole Old Testament. David gets half a line. Moses gets a couple of paragraphs. Abraham gets half a page. If you read your Bible, I think no one was ever asked anything harder by God, ever. Millions of people, millions of people have willingly been martyred themselves uh, rather than deny their faith. Even more millions have suffered and still suffer persecution and torture and imprisonment. And everyone, Paul says to Timothy, all who want to live godly in Christ will be persecuted, will suffer. If you, to be a Christian is to sign up for suffering, okay? You may not know that. You may have watched one of those TV preachers who tells you that as soon as you become a Christian that all of your problems in life will be over. No. Uh, you will have the Lord to bring you through all of life's problems and he promises to be present with you through all of life's problems, but you will probably get more than before you started on this little journey with the Lord. All who want to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. You are going to suffer as a Christian in some form or fashion. But who has a story like Abraham's? In the last chapter... If you remember last week, we looked at the last chapter, and we saw God encouraging Abraham to send away the handmaiden, Hagar, with whom he had had a son, Ishmael. Uh, Sarah and, and Hagar are not getting along well, and she dislikes her um, the son that, that Abraham had had with Hagar, and he, she says, you get that slave woman and her boy out of here. And Abraham is distressed, but he, he follows his wife's direction, and uh, they leave. And so Isaac and Sarah and Abraham are all that's left of Abraham's family. And Isaac is the long-awaited child of promise, the child who was born after literally decades of waiting. Those of you who have been with me this whole series as we have uh, gone from Abraham's call out of Ur of the Chaldees and then his time in Haran and then uh, God sends him into a land that I will show you and, and we've gone through his whole story. You probably feel like it has been decades since we started this. Only been about 12 weeks. Uh, but this child has been born after decades of God promising from you is going to come a child and then that from that child is going to come millions of descendants and your descendants will be a blessing to all the nations and you're going to have a land of your own and every place that you put your foot, I'm going to give you that land uh, from, the, from the great sea to the Jordan River from north to south and you're going to have it all. It will all be yours. Abraham turns 100 years old before the child is born. His wife is 90. And through God's direct intervention, they are able to conceive and have a child. And the child is growing and he's been weaned and it's a great celebration and everything is going great. And God says, take your son. And look at this. 
Take your son, your only son, Isaac. In other words, just in case you're confused, not Ishmael, don't go track him down out of the desert. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one you love. It's almost as if God is trying to make the test that he's about to lay down that much harder. And I'm t- I got to tell you, I'm glad that verse 1 makes it clear that this is a test. Because otherwise, you'd be horrified as you're reading this. You know, it's like those one of those warnings. You, verse 1 is like one of those warnings you get on TV sometimes. I don't know if they still do that because, you know, since the advent of the DVR, we don't watch a whole lot of non-show um, <laughs> stuff that goes on. But, you know, they used to have at least. The, you know, the screen and get those bars, you know, and it would say, this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. This has been an actual emergency. The sound you hear right now would be followed by the screams of broadcast personnel. You know, something like that, right? And uh, if this had been an actual emergency, we'd do something different, right? But, uh, you know, they put that in verse 1. This is a test. In other words, God's not actually going to make him do this. But Abraham does not know that. He is experiencing it as this is really God's command. This is not a test as far as he knows. This is not a drill. This is God's direct command to me. And Abraham thinks, I'm really going to have to do this. And it's not like child sacrifice was completely unknown in fact it's one of the things that the canaanites are condemned for and one of the reasons why god when he brings in the israelites to take over the land of canaan he tells them to kill all the canaanites because they have for generation and and generation been sacrificing their children to various gods molech and chemosh and these others in horrific ways And we don't really know what Abraham thought when God comes to him with this, but maybe he thought something like this. Maybe I don't know Yahweh quite like I thought. Maybe he's more like the gods of Canaan than I realize. I never thought that sacrificing to him would involve my son can't say yes to this but how can i say no it's god who is asking commanding me to do this but the text tells us what abraham did he got up early the next morning to leave Uh, beersheba where abraham is living is about 50 miles from where he is headed which is the region of moriah Uh, moriah is the mountain that's later called mount zion which is where the city of jerusalem was built And it's entirely possible, by the way, that the place where Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac is about to take place is the specific place where the Temple Mount was later constructed. And it's that place that Abraham is headed. It's about a 50-mile journey, which means it's about three days to get there. You travel about 20 miles a day, and on the last day you arrive and you have time to actually accomplish what you're going there to do. Can you just imagine the agony of the anticipation? 
When you think about this, sometimes if you've ever had a medical test and they're testing you for something highly serious and you go and you have your test and then you've got like, oh, we won't have results till Friday and it's Tuesday. And along the way, you're sweating, right? You don't know what's going to happen. Well, what's going to happen on Friday? And about Thursday night, you're having trouble sleeping. It's a long way until Friday. Abraham's got three days' journey to walk to this mountain with his boy. He's got plenty of time to think about it. Abraham goes with a donkey to carry the supplies, a knife, a torch, a bundle of dry wood, a couple of servants, and his boy for the sacrifice. And as they get close, Abraham takes the wood and the torch and the knife and his son, and they set off. Notice what he tells his servants. I and the boy are going over there, and we will worship. And then we will come back. How can he say that? How can he know that? Well, the writer to the Hebrews in his account of Abraham's life says, something, says that his thoughts are going something like this. That God has told me to sacrifice my son. I know that to be true. I also know that that this particular boy, Isaac, that God has told me that this boy is essential for the covenant that God is going to fulfill through me. And I also know that God can raise the dead. So he must be planning to have me sacrifice the kid, but he's going to bring him back to life. But regardless of how it works, I have to obey. And so Abraham trusted God. He believed his word that he had already heard. And he didn't exactly know how it was going to work out, but he knew that God was capable of raising the dead and that this boy was part of God's plan, so there must be some way this is going to work out. And he believes God and he trusts him. And Isaac is carrying the wood on his shoulders. And as they walk along together, can you just imagine? We don't know really how old Isaac is at this point, but he's old enough to be weaned. He may be uh, at least five years old uh, he's old enough to, to have some idea of how sacrifice works okay we got knife torch wood pop uh where's the lamb <laughs> uh you know i know you're a hundred and some uh maybe you're slipping a little you forgot something here dad where's the lamb abraham says god himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. He is still trusting God, but the, but the pain in that answer must be almost physical because Abraham knows something that Isaac doesn't, that the lamb that God has provided is him. And too soon they're at the spot, and Abraham builds his altar and he takes the wood from his son and he lays it on the altar and then he has to lay hold of his own boy and tie him up and put him on top of that wood 
I'm a dad. I have four kids, all of whom I would willingly lay my life down for. And those of you who are parents, just imagine this. You're going to tie up your boy, and you're going to put him on this altar. And you're about to kill him. Can you just imagine the tears that have to be streaming down your face as you're doing this? But you can't imagine anything more self-destructive than what you're about to do. And just as Abraham has the knife in hand ready to slay his son, God speaks from heaven. And he says, Abraham! Abraham! Here I am. Don't lay a hand on your boy. Don't do anything to him. I know now that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. God intervened. Abraham was stopped. Isaac's death is averted. And as the writer to the Hebrews says, he says it this way, figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And was Abraham's prophetic statement to his son proven true? Yes. Did God provide a lamb? Yes. God provides a ram, a male sheep, which is the requirement for an acceptable burnt offering. Abraham passes the test, demonstrating that he fears God. And by the way, what was the test? Well, I think it was a version of the same one that Job endured. You know, like Job, Abraham was a man who was tremendously materially blessed. Abraham had wealth beyond imagination. He had enough servants in his house that he had 318 trained warriors that protected his family. I don't think there's that many guys in the Secret Service. Abraham was a tremendously rich, prosperous fella. And people from the outside, and even Abraham, might come to, to think, well, it's because of me, it's because I'm so great, and besides that, you know, obviously I fear God. Because look at how, how much blessing there has been. But you remember when Satan comes and speaks to God about Job? What's he say? He says, does Job fear God for nothing? I mean, look, you've poured out blessing on him. So naturally he obeys and follows you. It's good for business. And the same accusation could be made about Abraham that he's done real well in his relationship with God. So naturally, this is what he's doing. It's been highly beneficial. God tests Abraham because every problem that Abraham has ever had, God has been there to rescue him, to pull his fat out of the fire. Even all his self-inflicted issues, God has been there to rescue him and to intervene. So why shouldn't Abraham trust God? I mean, he's never really had to trust him for anything too very difficult because every mess he's gotten into, God has been there to pull him out. So God puts him to the test. 
I'm going to ask you for the one thing you value above everything else. The one thing that if I took it away from you, you would be absolutely crushed. And wonder of wonders, Abraham passes the test. Contrary, in fact, to all my expectations of Abraham up to this point, maybe even of his own, because Abraham's story is not one of moving from, you know, glorious uh, accomplishment to accomplishment. There's, there's flashes of faith uh, w- contrasted with staggering collapses into absolutely ridiculous sin that he gets engaged in. And so you have this, these, these kind of small highs and huge lows in Abraham's life. And yet here, Abraham is completely faithful to carry out what God has said. And he really does trust God. And for that reason, God pronounces his blessing one more time. He says this, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Now, if you look back through you, to the previous affirmations of covenant that God has made with, with Abraham, almost every one, and there have been five others, where God uh, has either, the, the, there's the initial one and then four more. And almost every single one of them is after some gigantic failure that Abraham has had where God comes in and says Abraham I still love you my covenant is still with you I'm still going to bless you I'm still going to provide for you I'm still going to make you a great nation in spite of the fact that you're the most colossal screw up so far in Genesis (laughs) every single time and here is the only example really of God affirming his covenant because of something great that Abraham has done. And God amplifies it a little bit more even in his affirmation. He swears by himself because there's nothing greater that you can swear by. You know, we swear on our, on our Bible when we go to court because God's word is greater than you. And the idea is, is that it would hold you to your promise. But God swears by himself because he is the supreme being in all the universe. Says that he is that because Abraham has continued to place his trust in God, that the rest of his promises will be fulfilled also. That there will be numerous descendants, that there that, that these descendants will one day displace their enemies from their cities and also live in those places. And that his offspring will be a a blessing to all nations. And I want you to see something really, really important. That if you have your NIV Bible, it might obscure this a little bit. But here's the thing, okay? Look at verse 18. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now that seems like pretty standard language. 
But here's, here's what I want you to see. That word offspring is translated in the in New American Standard and the King James the word with the word seed. And so it could also read, in your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Why am I making a big deal about that? Because in the book of Galatians, and I don't normally ask you to flip around in your Bible, but turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 16. I want you to see this. This is really super important. Okay? Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So, who's going to be the blessing to all nations? Your seed, Christ. In other words, Abraham, the Messiah, is going to come through you. And that is important for Abraham because, I mean, obviously, I can't imagine anything more exciting than, hey, by the way, one of your descendants of the many that you're going to have, one of them is going to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's a big deal if you're the dad, right? I mean, what, what, have you, what have you as a father got to compete with that? You know, my son uh, plays starting wide receiver for the Chicago Bears, you know. Okay, yeah, well, my son is the Messiah of the world. <laughs> okay, I mean, really, my son became president. Oh, really? My, my son became savior of humanity. This is a big deal for Abraham, all right? But it's also a big deal for us because Jesus Christ is the true seed of Abraham and he has come and he is a blessing to us who are part of the all nations who are to be blessed through Abraham's seed. Well, how did that happen? Well, about 1,500 years after Abraham took this trip to the region of Moriah with his son to make his sacrifice before God, another son of Abraham made the same kind of trip. He went up to Jerusalem where he was judged and condemned, not for what he had done, but for what we, the people of all nations throughout the earth, have done and will do. And he set out on that hill carrying the wood for the sacrifice on his shoulders. And he was the son of the true father, God himself, who declared that he would provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And this time it would not come in the form of a ram in the thicket caught by his horns, but in the form of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Well, like Isaac, he was bound and he was laid on that wood for the sacrifice. And this time, the death is not merely figurative, it's real. And the death is really confirmed, not by the plunge of a knife, but by the thrust of a spear. And out of the hole comes blood and water. 
and the Son of the Father was sacrificed. Not for his sin, but for yours and for mine. And through that sacrifice, the blessing upon all nations came. Jesus really died better than Isaac. And also better than Isaac, he really was received back to life. And all this happened so that God's ultimate promise to Abraham could be fulfilled, that his seed would be a blessing to all nations. So let me ask you, have you received the blessing that God promised to Abraham and has extended to you and to me? Have you received it? Have you personally, at a point in time, trusted in the sacrifice of the Son by the Father for your sins? Have you recognized not simply the historical fact that Jesus Christ died and was crucified on a cross, but why? That it was for your sins, past, present, future. That he followed the will of the Father, not simply because he was obedient, but because he loved you. If you have done that, I hope you never quit celebrating. Because we, as recipients of the blessing of God given through the descendant of Abraham, who was the true son not only of Abraham, but of God the Father in heaven, have the greatest blessing that has ever been given to the entire world. The blessing of being adopted into the family of God, becoming ourselves true children of Abraham by faith and true children of the Father in heaven by adoption. Who He brings us into this family as we place our trust in Jesus Christ. And like Abraham, God has made you many great and precious promises, and he has also given us some truly hard commands. And Abraham was commended for his faith because his faith was proven real by his obedience. So if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross for your sins and was raised from the dead, let me ask you, is your faith proven true by your obedience to God's commands? But if, on the other hand, you have never personally received the blessing of God through this, the salvation offered for you in Christ, the sacrificed Son, then I implore you, beg you, plead with you to do so right now. I don't know what is keeping you at this point from placing your personal trust in Jesus Christ. And by the way, let me emphasize that. It's your personal trust in Jesus Christ. Not your grandfather's or your mother's or your sainted aunt's or whatever, but you personally. Whenever, whenever I talk to people, uh, and I introduce myself, they want to know, you know, particularly to talk to a man, the second question out of their mouth is, hey, what's your name? Uh, after that is, what do you do? And when I say, well, I'm a pastor, I usually get some sort of 
uncomfortable statement like, oh, I had a grandfather who was a Methodist once. (laughs) Um, And let me just tell you, let me assure you that God has many children by faith in Jesus Christ, but he has no grandchildren, no extended family. Have you ever personally placed your trust in Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, let me invite you to do so now. Jesus Christ died in obedience to the Father and was raised to new life to offer you the same thing, a new life. Both in eternity when we stand before God and we dwell with the Father in heaven but also in the here and now. Also in the here and now, new life. A lot of us would love to start over with our life. I would love to go back and undo some of the stuff that I have screwed up. As long as I didn't have to go through junior high school again, I would be good with that, (laughs) right? Um, A lot of us would like to go back and start over. Jesus Christ, through his resurrection power, offers you the opportunity to start over, to be forgiven, to be clean, to make a new start and a new chapter in your life. Will you trust Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, son of God? God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of faith of Abraham who was willing to obey God though it cost him everything that was truly precious to him. We thank you that you are a good God who did not encourage Abraham to follow through on that instruction, but rescued by providing a lamb. And Father, we thank you even more for the Lamb of God Jesus Christ, whom you provided to be the sacrifice, the substitute for our life. Father, you have said in your word that the wages of sin, what we earn when we sin is death, separation from you and judgment for eternity. But you have made a way, a substitute, a sacrifice to be made, take away our sin and to, by his resurrection, give us new life. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never done that, who has never personally trusted in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for him or for her, that they would receive that new life through faith and experience the wonder of the provided lamb. And Father, for those of us who have either at some time in the past or maybe even many years in the past, placed our trust in Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that we would prove our faith real as Abraham did by our obedience to the commands that you give us. And Father, I pray for your grace to surround and descend upon and fill every one of us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.